Last week I told you that the Lord had spoken a word to me in September that we were supposed to pay attention to the phrase that he's the God of this city. He's the God of this city. He's not just the God of what happens on this little corner, in this little room, or even in churches around the city. He's the God of the whole city. And he loves every man, woman, and child who lives here. And that this year he wants to take us out into the city and share some of this good stuff that we have with them. I showed you uh, last week Acts 1.8 where it says, But you will receive power. Oh, how do you work this now? Okay. I guess you don't. Okay, there it goes. But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you. Can I get a witness? <laughs> it's like, I don't know if anybody got the license plate on the bus that just ran over us up here, but it says you'll receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you, and I want you guys to know you just received power. You're different than you were when you came. The Bible says, but you'll receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you. Many of you came up here in response to a word for strongholds to be broken. And because you moved your feet out of obedience to the stirring, and it's a frightening thing, I know, to come up in front of so many people. You moved. God met you. You received power. Don't let the devil lie to you. You have the power that you need to stand against him now. But he said, you'll receive power to be my witnesses. To be his witnesses. That we're going to be the ones who bear the message and the power of the gospel of Jesus Christ out into this city. That we'll receive power to be his witnesses. Not to be his salesmen. Not that those who know the line know the product well enough that we can persuade another to pray a sinner's prayer. But that there will be witnesses. We'll be people who have seen stuff. I mean, that's what witnesses are, right? They're people who have seen stuff. You've seen Judge Judy. (laughs) And you know every once in a while, boy, she's a surly woman, isn't she? What's she so mad about? I don't know, but I kind of like her. But you've seen somebody will bring some witness with them to make their case about the cell phone bill or the dog that bit somebody or whatever, you know. And the person will stand up there and she'll ask him and she'll say, well, did you actually see this? Man, it's like talking to the Wizard of Oz, isn't it? It's like you're all scared and everything and they go, oh, sit down. You didn't see anything. You can't be a witness if you haven't seen it, right? The Bible says that we're called by God's power to be his witnesses. To bear Jesus Christ into this city as those who have seen him, experienced him, his witnesses. Not those who know the creed or enough theology or apologetics so that we can make a good argument. There's nothing wrong with knowing the creed, nothing wrong with studying apologetics. But I'm saying apart from being able to say, yeah, but I've seen him, I've experienced him, we're not witnesses. And we're called to be witnesses. 
Evangelism is falling flat in America. It's failing in America. People are not coming to Christ in the numbers that they were 15 or 20 years ago. It's not happening. And I think I know why. At least I have a couple of theories. First of all, it's because the age of reason has reached idolatrous levels. The age of reason, 1794, Thomas Paine, one of the influential people in the foundations of our country, produced a pamphlet called The Age of Reason. And uh, in that pamphlet, he made a distinction between reason and revelation. He started beating up on the Bible and telling us we shouldn't be believing the Bible, but we should be able to be thinking things out. In fact, what he said was he said that um, uh, the only church that he knows is in his own mind. My own mind is my own church, he said. So he didn't want anything to do with that other stuff. And what that did was it set in motion an interest, a passion for reason and logic in our culture that has led to plenty of good things. I mean, so many of the technological advances that we enjoy, from your cell phones to your air conditioning, all came through reason, correct? And there's the sequential development of one thought after another. So I'm not saying that reason is a bad thing. In fact, Bible says in Isaiah 1, somewhere around verse 18, Come, let us reason together. Though your sins be as scarlet, they shall be white as snow by Christ. Think about it. So it's not about... But what's happened is over time is we have elevated reason to an idolatrous place. So that what we're trying to do is we set reason at the center of our world, our perspective, our paradigm, our worldview... And in the process, now we've got to try to figure out how to fit this supernatural God in. And there's conflict, isn't there? Instead of saying, wait, supernatural God is the center of my worldview, the center of my perspective, the basis of my understanding for the universe, now I've got to figure out how to incorporate reason in that. We've gone the other way. And so evangelism has fallen flat because no longer are we witnesses to the move of God, but we have entered into a kind of raging polemic with people to try to argue them into understanding God and finally getting you to the point of saying, don't you see what I'm saying, Ken? And you say, yeah, I guess I do. What is this prayer I need to pray now to be a Christian? That's not evangelism. That's religion. That's getting people to agree with your creed, which is what a religion is. Second thing is, I think, is because the church is losing touch with the power of God. I love the church in the world. I love the church. I love Christians, no matter what their flavor is, no matter what the sign is on the parking lot. You know, I love believers. So when I say something like this, it hurts me to say it. But if you just look broadly around the, around, around the world... The churches where the power of God is breaking out and is being emphasized are the exceptions rather than the rule. And mainline churches that have so many adherents have given themselves to an entirely rational explanation of God and have in, some, uh, in many cases um, um, discouraged and in some cases prohibited people from trying to move in the power of God. And so evangelism is falling flat because, first of all, again, we, we've gone away from being witnesses to, to the things of God 
to being salesmen, salesmen for the idea of God. And so evangelism is becoming, this is what I believe. You must believe this too so you can avoid hell. You hear what I'm saying? So it becomes, how good can we, can we become at representing the thought of God to the point where we have help someone figure out a way to integrate the thought of God into their idolatrous reason. Does that make sense? And I think the other thing that happens is that we, we lose our credibility as, as, as our, our reliability as credible witnesses. So we become Bible thumpers rather than people who are to talk about the things God's doing. And this is causing evangelism to fall flat on its face. The answer seems obvious to me. The answer is to experience God. To add to all of our database of all the things that we know about God rationally from our decision to believe the scriptures as an objective revelation of the nature and word of God, add to that actual experience with him so that we can have something to testify to. Yeah? All right. We'll skip that. That's the sermon. I printed it real small to encourage you to start bringing your freaking Bibles to church with you. There you go. Something you can relate to. This is evangelism. And some of you are passionate evangelists of the Buckeye Nation. Why? Because you've experienced it. Because you've experienced it. You've you've been there. You've seen it. You've thrown yourself into it. You've allowed yourself to be touched by it. You have played vicariously through them on the field. I love how you say, we won. I didn't see you there. But, okay, I mean, you know what I'm talking about? You have no trouble talking about the Buckeyes because you experience them. My prediction for tomorrow night? Same as last week. Buckeyes by three coming from behind in the last few minutes of the game. Now, if I'm wrong, I'm just another one of the wrong guessers, right? But if I'm right, I've told a thousand people this. I'm going to be amazing. But you're going to have something to talk about Tuesday morning. You're going to have something to talk. And you're going to talk about it because you experienced it. Not because you memorized the rules of being a Buckeye, but because you experienced it. And it's exciting. You're a witness to it. This is what evangelism is. There were a couple of of disciples who were caught and they were threatened by the Sanhedrin. That's the whole message part that I'm skipping. It's threatened by the Sanhedrin for actually healing a guy. 
and preaching the gospel and the resurrection of Jesus. And the Sanhedrin, who felt very threatened by all this, who had the power to execute them, called them in and said, you must never again speak in the name of Jesus. Their answer in the verse before this was simply this. Is it right for us to obey God or men? Oive. They were Jewish, right? Is it right for us to obey God or men? He said, but, they said, we cannot help but speak of the things that we have seen and heard. That's evangelism, folks. As we move into God of this city, as we invite God to use us out in our city to spread his love and power and his message, I am not going to be warming up old methods of evangelism and giving you classes and lines to memorize, and if they say this, you say that. I'm not going to use guilt and shame. I mean, how many of you do, like me, feel guilty sometimes for not talking more about the gospel? I do, too. I'm not going to use that. You're already there. What I want to do is continue to create a place where the kingdom of God can break out here so that you can have a story to tell. And then you will not be able to stop. You cannot help but speak of the things that you've seen and heard. That's real evangelism. I remember being in a bar sharing the gospel with three drunks a number of years ago. I don't say that in a condescending way. I was a drunk myself at some point. Now, I remember I was called there. I was a young pastor, and I was called there by a guy that two weeks earlier had stuck a forty-five in my face. He was in his basement committing suicide, and his wife called me. said, Joe's in the basement committing suicide. I'll be right over. I put on my Superman suit and flew over and foolishly went down in the basement and sat down across from him as he sat with a shotgun on his chin and his thumb on the trigger and a 45 across his lap. Now, what are we doing here, Joe? <laughs> and at some point, I introduced Jesus into the conversation, and that was the real answer. For and he, at some point, he became agitated with my Jesus talk, and he picked up that gun, and he stuck it in my face, and he said, let's both go see your Jesus tonight. I wet my pants. <laughs> Somehow, by the grace of God, I don't know what I said next. It's a blur. But somehow, by the grace of God, he heard what I had to say. He gave me the shotgun, and he gave me the forty-five. And that night, he asked Jesus Christ into his life. A couple of weeks later thinking he was going to save the world. He was in the bar with a couple of his bar buddies. All three of them were drunk. And Joe called me and said, Hey, I want you to come over and tell that Jesus stuff to my buddies. Now you got to understand that sharing Jesus with drunks is a family tradition. <laughs> One of our sons, Bruce, went to Bowling Green and in the dorm, he was a fairly outspoken believer, and he used to 
stage different kinds of events like Atari competitions and stuff and on Friday nights so all of his drunk friends could come over and somehow or another he'd tell them about Jesus. He called me one Saturday morning. And he said, Dad, does it count if somebody accepts Jesus when they're drunk? I said, well, how drunk were they? <laughs> <laughs> so anyway, I was sharing the gospel with these guys in this bar. And these, this one guy in particular just kept coming back saying, asking me questions. Sometimes I'd have a Bible answer and sometimes I wouldn't. And whenever I wouldn't, I would say, I don't really know the answer to that question. But all I know is, and then I'd tell him about some little experience that I'd had with Jesus. Something that happened. Then he'd ask me more questions. And whenever I get to one, I didn't know the answer. He'd say, you know, I don't really know the answer to that question. But you know what? The other day, <laughs> I would talk about some experience that I had with Jesus. This went on forever. Drunks seem to have just an unlimited amount of time to talk. <laughs> and on, am I right? <laughs> Can I get a witness? <laughs> don't raise your hand. Don't raise your hand. And so, finally I just said to him, I said, look, are you saying that you are not really interested in any of these things that I'm saying? And he said, I'll tell you what. He said, if what you're talking about, if the things that have happened between you and God are real, then I want that. And so I said, then keep watching. Joe and his two buddies started coming to our little Wednesday night Bible study at that little church I was pastor of. Bit by bit by bit. Well, they used to pop a lot of mints before they got there. <laughs> that covers up everything, doesn't it? Yeah. Listen, if you've got a story of experience with the living God, people want to hear it. What they don't want is some warmed-up version of evangelism explosion where you start powering down on them with things that they need, that they already know. And that the age of reason has just crowded out space in their minds for God to be first. I want you to experience God, and so... My heart is, my, my inclination of direction from the Lord is to spend some time here as we get going with God of this city this year with uh, you just having an opportunity to actually experience God. So last week, I just wanted to end with you experiencing the love of God. You've got to experience the love of God. I mean, it's one thing to read about it and know it and parse out the three different Greek verbs for love and do all that stuff and be able to kind of work it up into an argument but it's another thing to feel the touch of God in the back of your neck. And hear him say, that's pretty good, son. That's a good day. And that's what I wanted for you last week. So what I want to do in ministry these weeks is just lead you through progressive times of experience with God. They'll, maybe they'll start kind of smallish or sublime, maybe. 
but I don't know exactly where the Lord's leading us, but I believe that they will just escalate into full expressions of the power of God over time. This morning, I'd like for you to experience the faithfulness of God. The way I've had it arranged in my mind with the message and everything, it would have made a whole lot more sense what I just said, but God had different plans for our service this morning. I say we let him be God and we be the people, okay? The faithfulness of God. You know, God is faithful. He is faithful. He is always faithful. We don't always get what we ask for from God, do we? Even in some of the big things. But he's always faithful to us in the midst of them. And that's not an excuse. That's a reason. I'd rather have God be faithful than give me everything that I ask for. There are some things that I've asked for that I didn't receive from God that in hindsight I'm really glad I didn't get. Because God was faithful to me. He was faithful to my well-being. He was faithful to my character. And some of you I really pray will experience, not just know it in your head, but experience. Like, Like you know how your wife loves you and you know it in your head, but then you experience it. You feel it. And I want you to experience the love of God. I want you to experience the faithfulness of God. Many of you have, and you'll know it if you have a full assurance of your salvation. Because your salvation is built on the faithfulness of God. God keeping his promises, right? And if you, if you know that in spite of your imperfections, and sometimes your worst terrible days that you have to offer to God... That in spite of that, that the finished work of Jesus Christ on the cross and his ever-speaking blood and your faith and the gospel offer is keeping you saved, you'll have full assurance of your salvation. It'll blow your mind as to how it works. You'll never be able to fully understand it rationally, but you'll know it in a deep, deep place. That's somebody who's experienced the faithfulness of God. Some of you need a release from fear, a release from fear of things that you can't control anyway. Some of you do live under a cloud of fear, and you need to experience the faithfulness of God, knowing there's nothing to fear. The Bible said, as God is for us, who can be against us? What does anything have if God is for us? You'd be released from... Some of you do worry. You put your kid on the bus in the morning and you go, oh, just something terrible is going to happen at school today. And the devil just messes with you that way. The remedy for that is the experience of the faithfulness of God. Some of you have a, an anxiety over an uncertain future. You worry about the future. You worry about it. You worry about it. You worry about it. The faithfulness of God is the remedy for anxiety over an uncertain future. He's faithful. He's faithful today. How are you doing today? You doing all right? You got enough food? You look like it. All right, then. Let's not worry about 20 years from now. He's faithful today. He'll be faithful then. He was faithful before you were conceived. <laughs> And I want you to experience the faithfulness of God. So, Father, we invite you to come and give us an opportunity to be your sons and your daughters and experience 
your faithfulness. The deepest possible places in our spirits and the place where we're people. We ask you to come. And I ask you to come as you came in a thundering way for, for us earlier. That you would come maybe in a more sublime way. But in a, definitely in an equally experiential way. That we could know. We could know by experience that you are a faithful God. So we invite you to come. And just to be Lord of this moment and whatever you have in mind for us.